Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us again. So today we're going to be discussing Lucille Cottle Little, who was a well-known patron of the arts and a philanthropist. Very little is remembered and or known about her, though. No pun intended with that one. Also, Wayne Johnson is here again to talk to us about Lucille Cottle Little, who she was and her life, including her kidnapping. Take it away, Wayne. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Lucille Cottle Little was born in Moorhead, Kentucky in 1909. Now, at an early age, she showed a big interest in both music and drama. She loved to sing and she loved to act. And by the age of 10, she was studying at the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music in the summertime. Now, she attended elementary and high school in Moorhead, and she participated in the speech, drama, and music activities at Mm -hmm. Round County High School. She graduated from Lexington's Hamilton College in 1928. And that that was a school affiliated with Transylvania. Oh, okay. And she attended classes at both Transy and UK. And both schools would benefit decades later from her generosity. Of course, yeah. Uh, She probably had good memories of her times there. Mm -hmm. She also went on to study voice at Stetson University in Florida. And she completed a bachelor's degree at uh, Ohio State in 1932. Mm -hmm. Well, she traveled quite a bit then. (laughs) Yes, she did. And she also took graduate courses after graduating from Ohio State at Columbia University in New York City. And she actually received a scholarship to the prestigious Juilliard School of Music in New York City. And she continued her voice studies there. Now, while she was in New York City, she sang in recitals and with a radio orchestra. Oh, okay. She loved to entertain. Of course. <laughs> uh, she also spent a little bit of time in Chicago, and she sang at the World's Fair there in 1933. Mm. But she decided she wanted more of a normal life. She felt like you couldn't have a personal life and commitments to amount to anything. She just felt like it was too much of a sacrifice in her life to be a professional entertainer. Wise beyond her years, in my yeah. in my view. So, was her family supportive of her of her uh, of her career? Or oh yes, anything? her father was very influential with her. Mm-hmm. Back in Moorhead, he was a judge, politician, businessman, yeah. and he taught Lucille from an early age that uh, if you had wealth, you needed to share it. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. we'll see later on. Mm-hmm. She really lived lived that out in her life. Mm-hmm. But I think she got that from her parents. But yes, they were very supportive. Her sister, I think, actually became a doctor and worked in a hospital that I think Lucille Little funded down the road in in Moorhead. So her sister achieved some things in her life also. I think her name was Claire, if I'm not mistaken. Now, after Lucille Little, or Lucille Cottle Mm -hmm. at the time, after she decided to forego New York, Chicago, the entertainment industry, the big league. league. She just wanted a normal life. She returned to Kentucky, and she taught music and speech at Moorhead State Teachers College, and she was instrumental in starting the school's theater department. If you mention Lucille Cottle Little's name in Moorhead, even today, you'll you'll get quite the reaction because she's very— 
popular there in Moorhead. It's her hometown, and she did a lot of very generous things for the for the city and the in the school. We're in the 1930s. Okay. You know, she's left the big time cities of New York and Chicago. In in the 30s, an event happened that would not only impact Lucille's life personally. Mm-hmm but would also have a huge, profound impact on the future of the arts community in Lexington, Kentucky. At a cotillion in Mount Sterling, Cottle met a man by the name of William Paul Little. Little was a very successful businessman, horseman uh, from Lexington. And they were married in 1937, and they settled in Lexington. Now, from the get-go, when Lucille Little came back to Lexington, Mm -hmm. She involved herself in the local arts and cultural community. She acted in productions. She directed. She was heavily involved in the children's theater. And she was a soloist at the Central Christian Church. Uh, Like I said, she was an entertainer. (laughs) Now, uh, while her husband was out making money, uh, he owned tobacco warehouses, horses, real estate. Apparently, he was involved in the development of the northern section of New Circle Road when it first got going. But while he was out doing all these things, Lucille wasn't just at home. Mm-hmm. She was out building an arts community. Okay. A quote from a newspaper article from her said that women were supposed to take care of the cultural side of life. Mm-hmm. And she rose to the task. Like I mentioned, and with some of her other endeavors, she helped found or served on early boards of the Lexington Children's Theater, the studio players, the Lexington Philharmonic, the Central Kentucky Youth Orchestra, the Living Arts and Science Center, Arts Place, and several other organizations. Yeah, many of which are still yes, are still running. Uh, she was definitely a mover and shaker mm-hmm. here in Lexington. And she also was in, heavily involved with her church, Central Christian Church, and she would sing solo to church many times. Mm-hmm. And she, she took a really—she didn't have children of her own. Mm-hmm. And I think her work with the Children's Theater— and and other arts things that she did. I think she really enjoyed working with children and that was her outlet. Mm-hmm. That was that was her family working mm-hmm. with those children that were coming up through the children's theater or or uh, going through college theater or what have you. Uh, so she was very involved with that. And she also loved comedy. She liked to laugh and she was every bit the actress. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to fast forward mm-hmm. to uh, Wednesday morning, May 16th, 1979. Okay. And Lucille Little and her husband, Paul Little, had been in Lexington as a married couple for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. And they were a very well-known family in town and very involved with the community. Well, on that morning, a man who was posing as a delivery man, uh, delivering flowers to the house, knocked on the Little's door on Ashwood Drive, which is right up here off Richmond Road. And once inside the home, this man, who turned out to be 35-year-old Bernard Graves from New Jersey, he pulled a gun on Lucille Little. Now, Lucille at the time was 69 years old. Yeah. Of course, I'm sure she was shocked that somebody came came right came, at door. came at her door. He was demanding eighty five thousand dollars from Little, mm-hmm. and he asked her, or I guess he demanded mm-hmm. her since he had a gun, because that's the only way you're going to yeah. demand anything from Lucille Little. <laughs> he demanded that she call her husband mm-hmm. and get him home, and then she he was going to have her go to the bank to withdraw 
the cash. The money. 85000 is what he was asking for. Now, Bernard Graves was a Navy veteran. He'd been in the Navy for 18 years, but he was a down-on-his-luck guy. He knew of the Littles because his father, Graves, was born in Lexington. Oh, and even help. though he came from New Jersey, he and his father used to work in one of uh, the Littles' tobacco warehouses. Okay. So that's where he had knowledge of the Littles and their wealth and so forth. But he had also had a wife and a young daughter, and he was very desperate. And the clincher for his desperation was he went to uh, have surgery in November 1977 mm -hmm. at a Florida Naval Hospital. And during the surgery, after the surgery, he learned he had inoperable cancer and was given at most just a couple years to live. He was definitely a man standing on the bridge at the end of the world, very mm -hmm. desperate. Now, the Navy, he didn't, he didn't have to be concerned about the medical costs because the military would pick that up. But yeah. I think maybe he was concerned about the future of his wife and his uh, his so, young daughter. Mm -hmm. And maybe he was looking at this as a way to get some money to uh, to help them. That's no, no reason, no excuse for what he did. But mm -hmm. that was his situation on that May morning of 1979. So, like I said, once inside the house, he got Lucille Little to call her husband, mm -hmm. who was at work, and she left a message and Paul Little, just as he came up, pulled up into the driveway, Lucille Little decided to uh, hatch a plan, I guess you could say. <laughs> she was really concerned for his safety. Mm -hmm. For her husband's uh, Paul, Yeah, that maybe this gunman may not shoot her, but would mm -hmm. be willing to shoot him. Mm -hmm. So she lied to the, to the gunman, the kidnapper, and said that her husband had a heart problem mm -hmm. and he could fall dead at any time. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as he walked into the house, she gave him a little nudge and told him, this guy's here for some money, but you sit down, I'll go get your heart pill for you mm -hmm. to, I guess, try to divert the attention of the gunman away from the husband. Mm -hmm. So he played along with it and sat down. Later on, when she was describing this event to reporters, mm -hmm. she bragged about how she gave a performance. To she acted out, yeah. She, yeah, she acted out. Her drama out of, skills came through. Yes, yeah. to try to alleviate the situation, to mm -hmm. keep the kidnapper calm, to keep her husband out of harm's way, mm -hmm. of course, to keep herself out of harm's way. Mm -hmm. Now, also, there were two other people in the house, a couple of servants mm -hmm. that were also held hostage. So we have the gunman in the house. Mr. Little's in the house. Mrs. Little is in the house. And at this point, she goes to the bank. Mm -hmm. I think it was the Bank of Commerce on Euclid Avenue, which is a few blocks up from their home, and withdrew $50,000. That's all the money she could get. And told the bank official of what was happening mm -hmm. at her house. But she didn't call the police because she was concerned that if she did, that mm -hmm. the gunman might shoot some people. Yeah. She was hoping to get the money back to the house, give it to him, and get him out of the house mm -hmm. without anybody being hurt. Well, the bank official called the police and told him what was going on at the Little's house. Mrs. Little returns to the house with $50,000. and With the kidnapper tagging along? <laughs> well, he stayed at the house oh, okay. with, with the other three, Mr. Little and the two oh, servants. Oh, I see. Okay. I thought yeah. he was with her. No, I'm sorry. He, she drove... By, her, uh, by herself to the bank. But she didn't call the police. And like I said, she was really concerned that he might do harm to the people in the house. And, mm -hmm. and I think in her, in her mind, she must have seen something in this guy that mm -hmm. she thought she could work with. So she was on stage. 
Yeah. Uh, she even admitted it later on. It's, it was one of the best performances she ever gave. Yeah. So she was definitely on. At gunpoint, that'll do it. That'll do it. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Uh, she was definitely on stage. And well, anyway, after uh, she returned home with the money, $50,000, Bernard Graves, the kidnapper, ordered one of the servants who was in the house to cover Lucille Little's eyes and mouth with duct tape. And then uh, he tied up her wrist, and then he uh, put her in the back seat of her blue Cadillac and got behind the wheel and drove up Woods Point Road toward Richmond Road. Now, at this time, the police had just arrived, mm -hmm. but, of course, they didn't know exactly what was going on. So they saw the car pull out, and they started following the car. Pretty soon, there was a little bit of a chase, mm -hmm. and uh, in Lucille Little's words, the gunman— uh, after he was stopped, I think near Holiday Road, he started cussing and saying, damn cop. <laughs> and But anyway, they went all over the downtown area. Finally, he stopped on, on Holiday Road and he drew his weapon. And from newspaper reports, it's a little hazy whether he actually got a shot off or mm -hmm. if the gun jammed. But he definitely uh, tried to shoot at the police. Now, keep in mind, she was tied up in the lane on the floor in the back seat of the car. Wow. Nobody knew she was in there other than the, the kidnapper. The, okay. So when he came out of the car on Holiday Road with his weapon and tried to shoot police, who had been alerted by the bank officials, mm -hmm. police showered the Cadillac with gunfire. Bullets whizzed less than six inches from Little's head. Oh there was like 12 to 15 shots, I believe. And mm -hmm. Of course, uh, they couldn't see her. No, they didn't know she was in there. Oh, wow. And so bullets were just going right by and she probably had flashbacks to her Chicago days uh, and she described it later by saying that the police just came and they started shooting up the world and she said and why those cops didn't know I was in there and why they shot that much I'll never know but luckily for Mrs. Little and for her family and for the arts community and also for the PR department of the Lexington <laughs> Police Department, she wasn't hit. She, yeah. she was safe and sound. And once the smoke cleared, she emerged unhurt from the car. And, of course, that's when the police realized she was in the, in the oh, car. Wow. They had no idea she was in there. Mm -hmm. Graves was hit three times, mm -hmm. I think once in the stomach, uh, once in the arm and somewhere else. But he survived his wounds, but he died three weeks later mm -hmm. at the VA hospital here in Lexington, not of the gunshot wounds, but of the terminal cancer. Yeah. Tragic. He never, yeah, yeah, he never went to trial. If he, if he had gone to trial, he would have been tried for attempted murder by pulling a gun on police and then uh, uh, holding four, four yeah. hostages. Yeah. And Lucille Little, when she went over this kidnapping, Years later, with a newspaper reporter, they did a newspaper article in the Herald Leader about it, and she, she said, I really outdid him with acting, uh, Little said of her captor. It was the best part I ever played. After all, here I am. And, you know, those shots that whizzed by her, you know, I guess you could say they were classified as the shots heard around the arts world, mm -hmm. because if she had been hit, yeah. and killed our arts community it would have been tragic of course but the work and the generosity she's shown the arts community mm -hmm. over the years would have never happened yeah she was just so dynamic in her support of the arts and education here in lexington the the littles after this mm -hmm. event went on with their life now ironically paul little this wasn't his first kidnapping oh 
Yes. As a 12-year-old child here in Lexington of a well-known family, well-to-do family, he was actually snatched off Main Street up here, just a few blocks from, or a few yards from where we're talking right now. Mm -hmm. He was kidnapped. Uh, He was 12 years old at the time, and he was kidnapped by a man and held hostage in a hotel room uh, at the old Phoenix Hotel for two or three days. He was locked up in a bathroom. And a ransom of $25,000 was demanded of the family for his return. And they were supposed to place the money in, a, I guess, a can or a garbage can mm-hmm. somewhere here on Main Street. But it was never picked up. Mm. And police had no idea where, where little Paul Little was. Finally, the kidnapper just decided to skip town. And he, he was never found. And little, Paul Little, managed to get himself unlocked from the bathroom. I think there was room 651 of the Phoenix, old Phoenix Hotel. And he managed to get himself unlocked out mm-hmm. of the bathroom after a couple of days. And he called his parents and police came and in. the parents came and rescued him. Wow. It made front page headlines here in Lexington. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep in mind, this was only a few weeks after the Geneva Hardman killing, oh, which, okay. which yeah, uh, we'll hear more about next year with the 100th anniversary yeah. when uh, she was killed by Will Lockett. Mm-hmm. So people were on edge anyway uh, with the Will Lockett case and the, uh, the riots, riots at the courthouse mm-hmm. and so forth. But it made uh, front page news. Mm-hmm. Now, Paul Little, he died in 1990, and he left a fortune mm-hmm. for Lucille Little. Uh, I think it was like $36 million. Wow. And Lucille Little, being the generous uh, benefactor that she was, went to work to figure out how to spend his money. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned earlier, she was brought up by her father to share wealth. Mm-hmm. She was a giver. She wasn't a taker. She mm-hmm. would much, from what I gather in my research, she would much rather give money than to receive it. Mm-hmm. So when Paul Little died and left her that fortune, she went about uh, using that fortune to uh, benefit Mm -hmm. the arts and cultural work in the community. She donated $1 million to Transylvania. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you have the Lucille Little Theater Theater. over there. She donated a million dollars to the U.K., which has the uh, Lucille Little Fine Arts Library. Mm -hmm. And she also started in, I think, 1993, the Lucille Little Foundation. And it's pretty interesting, the, the description of her foundation when it first got going from the newspaper. Let me just read you what it says here about how she founded her own foundation. She stayed up until about 3.30 a.m. the night before the formation, and she was drawing up a constitution and the bylaws, Mm -hmm. and she chose the board of directors. Somebody asked her who's going to head the foundation, and she said, uh, according to Harold Leader, she growled, me. (laughs) You're darn right. I will be in charge, and I'll make all the final decisions as long as I'm able. Yeah. mentally and physically. I probably don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to learn as fast as I can. Wow. That's um, one feisty lady. <laughs> yeah, yes. She did a lot of great work with her fortune mm-hmm. that was left to her. A lot of arts groups, mm-hmm. not only here in town, but also in other communities, like I mentioned, Moorhead. Mm-hmm. Uh, she founded Moorhead, I believe the Moorhead Children's Theater. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, you can go to Moorhead even today and mention her name and you'll get nothing but compliments. Mm -hmm. Adlin Wickman, who designed our artwork for the Mm -hmm. Pendulum 
and mm -hmm. clock, which Miss Little donated in, in 2000, mm -hmm. 2001. To the library. Uh, mm -hmm. When Miss Wickman passed away in 2013, the newspaper described her and three other women and the impact they had on the arts community here in Lexington. I think it was Gloria Singletary, who was President Singletary mm -hmm. from UK, his wife, Lucille Little, mm -hmm. Miss Wickman, and Marilyn Musnick. They described these people as being so important to the arts community here in Lexington. And a quote from the newspapers said that they had that spirit, that spark, that creativity, and a sense of really wanting to give back to the community. Mm -hmm. And that describes those ladies and probably defines Lucille Little's life the best. Mm -hmm. Arts was a passion, and it was her cause. And the kidnapping was a tragic event for her and her family, but mm -hmm. it could have been much more tragic yeah. if those bullets. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think she'll define, define her and, and her work so and her contribution to Lexington. You know, I didn't really meet Miss Little, but I was here the day that she came in in the summer of 2001, I believe, when she had made her announcement of the $400,000 gift to mm -hmm. the uh, Lexington Public Library mm -hmm. for the pendulum and the clock. Yeah. I still have memories of being at the reference desk and her walking on the floor mm -hmm. like a general mm -hmm. and all these library administrators, the foundation director and our marketing director and all yeah. these managers just following her. Mm -hmm. It's like a like General MacArthur <laughs> going back to the Philippines. It was, it was really funny. And you definitely knew she was in charge. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, she so, had a presence. Yeah, yes, she did. And I think. That probably helped her with the kidnapping. She she mm -hmm. got into an acting mode mm -hmm. uh, during the kidnapping, and instead of panicking or mm -hmm. freaking out or whatever, she turned it into a stage production. I really think that helped her get through it. Yeah. Well, and, thankfully uh, she did. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thankfully, and I'm sure everybody here in Lexington would would agree that it would have been a tragedy. Yeah, and and I'm sure. People out there in the arts community mm -hmm. can speak better of the mm -hmm. impact she had on arts and education here in Lexington. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can really even justify it with, with words. Mm -hmm. uh, she backed up her talk with money. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and action. Yeah, and I think somebody referred to her as the fairy godmother of <laughs> benefactors. That Now, it also posed some problems for her, too, because... Mm -hmm. When you have that kind of money, everybody's, of course, everybody's, everybody's coming yeah. to you for money. Mm -hmm. So she had to turn down some groups, but she always kept her focus on the arts and education mm -hmm. and the children's theater. Mm -hmm. She also gave money to the opera house renovation, I think a half million dollars. Yeah. The foundation, as I know at this point, is still well-funded mm -hmm. and still giving money to the arts and education community. Wow. And so even though she died in October of 2002, mm -hmm. just shortly after she dedicated the clock here at the library, and she was, I believe, 93 years old at the time, you know, her spirit still lives and through her foundation, mm -hmm. she's considered one of the most influential yeah, of course, yeah. people in the history of Lexington. Mm -hmm. And not only just for her giving money to people. I think she was just a genuinely generous person. Yeah. Definitely somebody the arts community mm -hmm. will always remember. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all your uh, research with us about Lucille Cottle. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room. 
a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.